Good morning. How are y'all? Good? Good, good. Claire has uh, told me she would read this for us. You still good with that? Okay. Um, hold on just a second. There's a live mic right there. There once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of the lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left the ninety-nine lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for that one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up, placed it on his shoulders, and carried it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, Let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me. The return of the lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued, In the same way, there will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home, and returns to the fold, more so than for all the righteous people who never strayed away. So... The lost lamb is me and you, if you're in this room, um, because the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so we're going to start this morning by thanking God for something that we don't always remember to thank him for, which is that moment where we're found, right? And for some of you, it's a really dramatic moment, probably a really dramatic story. And for others, like you cut your teeth in church and maybe you feel like, you know, God fell into your lap, but he, he didn't. He's... He finds you. He finds you. And he finds me. And so this morning, let's just start by prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you are the one who goes after the lost ones. We thank you for our own salvation, for our own stories. I thank you for the stories of those in this room, um, people who have been trapped in um, just very difficult situations who then... uh, are found by you and radically change and radically move in a new direction, which is what repentance is. So thank you, God. Thank you for always finding us um, when we wander away and when we're lost. We love you so much. We give you all the glory and all the praise. You're good. Amen.
no choice but to believe my doubts are burning like ashes in the wind so so long to my old friends burning in bitterness you can just keep them moving now you ain't welcome here I'll sing of how you saved my soul children are all sick or late. Claire, do you want to read again? No. Okay. I got this one. I'm young compared to some of y'all. All right. Sorry. I repent. Um, everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation when the rains fell and the flood came with fierce winds beating upon his house it stood firm because of its strong foundation but everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand when it rained and rained and the flood came with wind and waves beating upon his house it collapsed and was swept away. Notice that it says when it rained and rained and the flood came, right? Not if. I don't think that's an accident. Uh, this isn't just a Q 
cute story. This is like life. Um, it's, it's happening like now, like in our midst, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we're aware of all the stories that are in even this small church. And I was thinking this morning as I was driving here about Stephen, the, the young, or the early apostle Stephen, that the beauty of life is not that we are protected from harm, but that we don't go through harm alone. Um, we sing that worship song like that's titled Never Alone. I've never walked alone. And I wish that that like took pain away. It doesn't. Um, still hurts. But it doesn't have to hurt alone. And so this morning, I think that's my encouragement. If you are hurting, if you are suffering, that you are not alone. That you're not alone because of a supernatural presence. And then also, in case we forget that, you're not alone because of this presence, like those that are in this room. And so in the midst of our pain, I want us to remember that so that we can thank God for, um, for that togetherness that we have with him and with ourselves. We're going to sing firm foundation as we do. Um, if you have tithes, offerings this morning, would encourage you to bring those. You can put them in the buckets up front. If you'd rather not come up front, there's the green box on the back wall by the doors that you're welcome to uh, place your tithes and offerings in. So we just encourage you to give as we sing this next song.
He won't. He won't fail. He won't fail. This is your house. The house you built is this church. appropriateness of singing that worship song recognizing that it we do things together is just so appropriate the Bible says that a, a cord of three strands or more is not easily broken and it speaks to that strength in community that we are going to emphasize today. This winter weather that we've had, I'm pretty sure that some people have had to already rely on their emergency generators. You don't know how great having that generator is until, I mean, it's, it's totally meaningless until you need it. Until you're in a situation where that thing saves your bacon. And I hope that you don't ever have to go through that. But this song, it's just one of my favorites. And it keeps reminding me that he is faithful. And But it's only when we find out that he's dependable. That he can be counted on. Um, that he is the firm foundation that when our world gets rocked we stand strong corporately individually but it's only when we find out how true that is in the middle of a storm 
Amen. Y'all be seated. I'm telling you, God is good. And I apologize. Y'all may get sick of hearing it, but in two weeks is the anniversary of uh, the loss of our daughter. And this song means, I mean, that's when I found out. I've shared with y'all that I, and I actually shared this at her funeral, that when I'm being a, being a psychotherapist, a counselor, I, I tried to do some therapy on myself. You know, you, you know, you'll never see her again. I was trying to get, get into the emotion of it and boom, the Holy Spirit said, that's dumb. Of course you will. And I realized all that stuff about heaven, I really believed it at that point. I mean, my faith took a leap right there. And it, it made me stronger. And we came through that storm relatively unscathed and actually stronger. And I don't wish that on anybody, but whatever the storm is that you're having in your life, you can rely on Jesus. All right. First of all, I want to say I've got a couple of announcements. I want to say thanks to the people who are here for Feed the Lions. Pam and I got up here early and opened the door. And not long after that, Kurt and Cheryl were here. And Josh and Jen and Barb and June. And the Feeding Lions is not that scary after all. Um, We had about 50-something awesome young people here. And we are blessed in this community. Uh, And I don't just say that because I'm worried that some of them might get after me later. I, they are awesome young people and we are blessed with the school and everything else in this community. We're so thankful to be here. I want to remind you that the women's conference is the 23rd and 24th of February. And if you've never been, it's in Durant and I'd encourage you to take part in that. If you need any more information, ask Pam about it. Um, Juliet and, uh, and Haley and well, Logan, are you on the worship? Are you working on it? Okay, so we've got our group's going to be a part of the worship team there for that uh, for that weekend, and we're excited about that to be a part. But it, it'll be a blessing. I've never talked to women that just just gush about it afterwards. So um, if you need to register by the sixteenth, February sixteenth, if you would like to eat lunch there, and they'll have that for you. But you have to register ahead of time. Only for that. Otherwise, you can just show up down there. All right? Um, oh, you don't get a goodie bag if you don't register. Uh, okay. I stand corrected by both of my wives here. Um, that we... Uh, I have a lot that, yeah, that keep me straight. So, um, register... You can do that online. Ask Pam if you need help. Also, if you need help getting your tithing record for uh, for tax purposes, um, you can ask Pam about that because she can figure out some way to print those out for you if you if you don't have that capability at home. Um, today is Family Sunday, so uh, if we got we all have kids in the service and. Uh, I want to encourage you. The message is 40 minutes long, so it won't take a a long time. It's awesome. 
I told Pastor Jacob we were excited about that. That is one of the first Sundays that we've been able to do that on a family Sunday. Uh, last is life groups. We are um, encouraging those. Uh, if you haven't done a life group before, uh, I, we'd encourage you to take part in that. I will talk a little bit more about that later, and Pastor Jacob's going to talk about that in the message. But for right now, take five, refill your coffee, and come back because we have an often awesome message from Pastor Jacob. To turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five. You also welcome our Chandler campus with us. Chandler, thanks for joining us on this Groups Launch Sunday. We're excited to launch Groups this semester. I'm going to talk a little bit about community. Um, again, we, uh, what we set out to do and be uh, is a people, a church that exists to see people transformed by Jesus. We just believe that if you get to know Jesus, he will reshape your life. He'll transform your life and transform your character. And there is a necessary part that we play together. It's not just something that happens personally, though there is a personal facet to your relationship with the Lord. There is an important part that we as a church play together. Uh, and this is what I've been talking about on change and how to change, what 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 leads to change in our life. And uh, last week I talked through a little bit of the way we think about that here at Victory Life Church um, that we put, uh, we describe as our ecosystem or the ecosystem of transformation or ecosystem of maturity where what, what we do together is we cultivate environments for people to know God, for people to encounter the living God and grow in your relationship with the Lord. And it's not just one, which would be an environment like this. This is one environment when we gather together to worship the name of Jesus, to lift him high and encounter his presence. And he draw us nearer to himself and open our eyes, open our minds to see, to hear his voice, to draw closer to him in intimacy and fellowship. Yes, this is one environment, but it's not the only environment. It's also... Uh, getting into community and building relationships together. And that's what I'm going to focus in on. Uh, and then we'll look at next week's serving. But each of those environments work together in our growth, in our maturity, in our, in our transformation. That your transformation will get stalled out if you only engage in one or just two environments. All three are necessary. And it's not linear in the sense of you go step one, do this, step two, do this. If you've ever raised children then you know that growth and maturity doesn't happen just one step to another, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, you know? It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, there's, there's lots of forward and back. There's lots of change and, and adjustment that has to be made. Our spiritual maturity and our spiritual transformation is like that. It's not, you don't make disciples on an assembly line where, thing, where people just get cloned and, and you just check off uh, different spiritual tasks and, and you're now mature and that's the, the nature of an ecosystem. They're just environments that we consistently engage in as we continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. That, that as long as you're breathing, you can still mature. No one is too old, no one's too young for, for growth and maturity into Christ-likeness. Uh, and so uh, this is God's plan for us, as I've stated in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. 
that whom God knew, God knew his people in advance. I'm going to read the New Living Translation. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. He chose us to become like Jesus so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Yes, transformation does happen in our direct and personal relationship with the Lord, but it involves a family. There's no way that you come to full maturity into Christ-likeness or experience long-term transformation in isolation. There's lots of things you can do by yourself. Being transformed into Jesus' image is not one of them. And you need a family. For some, you're like, absolutely done. For others, you're like, I question that logic. And I get it. And I want to, I in a sense, make a case for it. Um, and uh, this has come from a lot of internal work and transformation that the Lord has worked on me. And I'm still growing in. I'm by no means fully mature in, in this aspect, but I'm growing in my revelation and understanding of Jesus and the importance of what that means as we are in this in community. Um, again, the end there, he says that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. One of the things we'll say around here is church is not an event you go to, it's a family to belong to. Um, that doesn't just come because it sounds clever or interesting or, or even nice uh, some people, that might warm your heart a little bit. But um, our American 21st century vision of church has been um, skewed into just one element, an environment where we gather together. And the way many churches are structured, it really does feel like an event. But here's the deal. The church from the New Testament, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, that is a people, not a place. Church is a people. Now, this people, this family, just so happens to have a place to gather in the same way my family has a home to live in. But my house is not the family. The family is the family. Well, church is the family of God. And it's a family to belong to. And this is something that you just see directly in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 we will use this scripture verse a lot around here because it has a lot to do with our understanding of our identity, um, who we are, and what it means to be in Christ, and what it means to live out who he's made us to be. And he uses a, a statement about being a new creation. Um, but the phrase that I want to hone in, in into uh, in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5 in the New Living Translation, it says, Those who, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ Jesus is a new person, has become a new person. When we belong to Christ Jesus, this is what a couple weeks ago, I just kind of talked a little bit more about that and what it means to receive Jesus, believe in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus, and then walk out following Jesus in our transformation. You first need to see it as a belonging. We belong to Christ Jesus. What he has done for us and our trust in him is a surrender to him. We surrender our life to him as our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. We want to hone in on the Savior part. That's great, and it's true. But he is Lord. He is in charge. And so we belong to him. And in belonging to him, we become a new person. Well, there is certain things that are features of being that new person. 
There are certain aspects of what it means to live out fully that new person that you and I have become. The rest of that verse, the old is gone, the new has come. The old life is over. So there's certain things that are a part of our old life that need to go away. And there's, there are other parts that are a part of a new life that we've been given in Christ Jesus. And if we belong to Jesus, that means we've surrendered the control of our life. And that's scary. Because we like control. And not just a certain personality type. There are certain personality types that really double down on that. But all of us like control. We don't like to be out of control. And I'm not advocating for you to be out of control. I am advocating for you to surrender control. Surrender control to the one who rules the universe. And that means there are certain aspects of this new life in Christ that you don't get to pick and choose. Following Jesus is not like going to a buffet. Pick your favorite dishes and skip the rest. When Jesus sets a table... I don't want to leave anything on the table that Jesus paid for. And I don't get to pick and choose the features of this new life. My responsibility is to know Jesus, be transformed by him, and the way that he leads me, I have to trust that it's necessary for my growth and transformation. And I want to show you how belonging is a key aspect of this. I'm just looking at some things in Jesus. I'm going to start with Ephesians chapter 2. You can go there. Just a couple things to, to see how, uh, to show you how belonging to Jesus and belonging to his body, his family, is directly connected. Um, but one of the ways we understand this or we can talk through this um, is uh, a statement you heard in the video before the message, but uh, you'll also hear around here a lot, even see it occasionally, is in Christ... You belong before you believe, and you belong before you behave. Many people think of becoming a Christian that your entrance, like your entrance exam into becoming a Christian, you don't have an entrance exam in case you don't know, but some, I imagine that many of you have experienced um, churches or communities of believers that established a high threshold as an entrance into that community. You have to believe certain things, and we're going to roll down the very specific doctrinal tenets you all have to claim before you are a member, before you are a part of who we are and what we're doing. In other communities, the threshold is certain behaviors. You have to stop doing these things. You have to remove this from your life. You have to quit doing these things. And then you have to start doing these other things. And this is a part of what it means to be a part of this community. And here's the deal. Jesus did not do that. The church does not get to pick and choose for itself what we're going to be like. We have a master. There is a head of the church, and his name is Jesus. He gets to decide. And he didn't go about it that way. Let me first just give you then Ephesians chapter 2, what the Apostle Paul says. And I'm going to kind of start in verse 10. We'll get to verse 19. Just kind of see just a couple key things that the Apostle Paul was pretty adamant about showing this new life in Jesus. I'm going to start in verse 10. For we are, I'm going to read in the New Living Translation today. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. We, 
You and I are God's masterpiece. That's not just something that's individual. It's us together in this work of salvation. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. This is how he's communicating it to the Ephesians. To the Corinthians, he says, if anyone belongs to Christ, he's a new person. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Verse 11 Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. That's true. Um, And intense. Who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. But here he's, he's laying out how Jews and Gentiles have become one, one family in Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and I think you can look at that now because now and especially our communities, uh, that division of Jew and Gentile is not very prominent. It's, it's prominent in other parts of the world that pastors and followers of Jesus are having to navigate still. But in our part of the world, um, it's, it's not necessarily that divide, but there is still very much a divide with the way the culture has divided uh, people into different subgroups. And you're an insider into this group, and everybody else is an outsider. And I, I mean, I could get specific, but it probably hurt your feelings. So uh, I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. But we can get very distinguished on insider and outsider. And honestly, churches are guilty of the same where it's just full of insiders and anybody that's an outsider is just like treated with suspicion. And yet, the blood of Jesus is what made possible outsiders to become insiders. Not any other threshold that we put in front of people. Look at verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. So anybody who's claimed Faith in Jesus, this is you, this is me, this includes us. United with Christ Jesus, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. And I say thank you, thank you for the blood of Jesus. That you and I, because I would probably assume that the vast majority of people in this room and our campuses, even those watching online, are not Jew by blood. And it took a work, because of God's covenant faithfulness, it took a work of the blood of Jesus for a new covenant to emerge where you and I that are bacon-eating Gentiles get to be in on the family of God. Praise God. Man, one of my favorite verses is, he has made all things clean. Praise God. I was enjoying some of that last night. So we've been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. And again, those, man, that's, that's... It carries such weight that we were once far away, but because of the blood of Jesus, we've been brought near to him. And most of us think of this in the personal aspect of what we are so grateful personally for the the blood of Jesus. And we need to all be personally grateful. But he doesn't end there. Go to verse 18. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. To receive Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus, to make the commitment of following Jesus and living a life of being transformed by Jesus, 
automatically, non-negotiably includes belonging to a family. This is not something you get to leave on the table as an option. To belong to Jesus is to belong to a family. And here's the thing about family. You're born into it. You don't get to pick it. When you are born again, you are born into a family with a lot of people that are not like you. You might be born again into a new family of people you don't like, but it is one and the same. Like, like a pair of shoes, the tongues come with it. You, <laughs> that was stupid. That's sometimes the way we describe like receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like a pair of shoes. The, the tongues come with it. Like instead of making a big deal about the tongues, let's, you got the whole shoe, okay? So that was just, I don't know what, you just might pray for me. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. It came with it. Like, like you don't get to say, Jesus, I love you, but I really don't like your family. Jesus, I receive you, but I reject those whom you died for. Jesus, I'll follow you, but if you and I could just do this by myself, that'd be much better. Can't do that. To receive Jesus is to be in a new family. And it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, it requires a lot of maturity, but like, just look straight at Jesus. Go to, you can go here, just, I'll just show you just a couple things from Mark. Mark chapter 1, you have Jesus launching his ministry and he begins to call disciples. And it says this, passing along, so this is verse 16, Mark chapter 1, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay, so here you have a, d- a defining moment in these disciples' lives. Um, to be a disciple of a rabbi honestly required a lot. Uh, all Jewish boys were trained in uh, the scriptures, committing sometimes large pieces of scripture to memory. Uh, and then some at different junctures of their life Um, could continue those studies. If they didn't go into the family business, they would continue those studies and uh, and in some senses memorize the entire Old Testament in a few cases. And then rabbis would pick and choose who they wanted their disciples to be after a long process. Here, Jesus just breaks all the norms. He goes to nobody's like blue collar workers just barely making it like like they're they're probably moderately successful so you're thinking whatever we would call middle class in that time there wasn't a such thing then but whatever you would call that people that are making it but certainly not happy with the taxes that are on their their fish um they're just blue collar workers just going day to day work 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 and hope for the messiah in in that day and then you have this rabbi going along the paths of the sea, that he just selects them. And he says, come follow me. 
And he, uh, verse 19 again, or verse 18, they immediately dropped their nets and followed him. Like something, there's, there were most likely they were aware of Jesus at, up to this point. But there is something piercing about Jesus' invitation that is hard to replicate. And many of us have heard something very similar to that in our own hearts. In John chapter 6, I think it's verse 63, Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, My words to you, they are spirit and they are life. There was something piercing about his invitation to come follow him, to become his disciples. And in following him, which would be a very intimate fellowship and relationship, they would spend the vast majority of their time with their rabbi. And they would learn how to be like their rabbi, like this teacher in, in their discipleship, in them f- being followers of him. But here you have a little hint of transformation. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. In following me, I will transform you into the person I've called you to be. He didn't say become this person, then come follow me. He says follow me and in the process of following me, I will transform you into the person I've called you to be. And here he just calls a bunch of fishermen. If you follow the story, he continues inviting a whole lot of different kinds of people. Um, And all of these people, from zealots to tax collectors, which were not friends, by the way. At no point in time would a zealot and a tax collector be friends. At best, they were enemies. He invites them into relationship, all of them, all these different kinds of of people. He invites them into relationship with him, in discipleship, in following him. And all of them get the same kind of, of invitation. Follow me and I will transform you in relationship with me. I will transform you. And this is one of the things that I've tried to repeat over and over and stress. It's that transformation happens solely in relationship with Jesus. Everything else, everything we do is all should be pointing us into a closer fellowship and relationship with Jesus our discipleship, whatever discipleship is and however we define it and however we explain it and however we walk through it, discipleship is just simply maintaining a close, intimate relationship with Jesus deeper and deeper and in the process, Jesus transforms us. And these early disciples are the first sign of it. Go a couple chapters later when Jesus selects the 12, Mark chapter three, verse 13 says, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Okay. So again, the statement, in Christ, you belong before you believe. You belong before you behave. Where do we get that? Right here in the statements of Jesus. Jesus' invitation was to come follow me, belong, belong to me, like come under my authority and not just by yourself. There's a close group of people, people who are not like each other, people from way different 
backgrounds. Yes, they're all Jewish, but, but tax collectors, Matthew would have been fairly wealthy because he had compromised to the taxation system of the Romans. The zealot probably had murdered tax collectors before here. Definitely zealots, maybe not Simon the zealot, but zealots had, like, that was a lot of conflict there. And Jesus says, come be in fellowship and relationship with me. Not just in close proximity to the master, Jesus, but in close proximity to each other. And these are 12 guys. Anywhere from teenagers to young adults. They would, not, they would not have been over 30 years old. All of them would have been under 30. Possibly John as young as 13 when he called him. Possibly, but we don't know exactly. But, but they all would have been young. And they, obviously they all had different vocations, different responsibilities, different kinds of families. We know at least Peter was married. So he had to figure out how to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and manage a home, a family. They were not friends. Four of them were. We know that much. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were at least co-workers. We assumed them to be friends, two sets of brothers. But the other eight, completely different parts of the community, different economic backgrounds, different kinds of day-to-day lives, and Jesus invites them all into a close relationship. And here, he, in, he invited them when he called the 12, he called them to be with him. Discipleship, be with Jesus. And in being with Jesus, we become like Jesus. Jesus did not establish a belief threshold for his invitation. If you will believe these certain things... If you read the Gospels, they didn't know what they believed. They were so confused most of the time. They only knew one thing. I'm with Jesus. That's it. They made all sorts of mistakes and said all sorts of dumb things. They're halfway through. If you, if you read the Gospel of Mark, halfway through is when Jesus sets him up with, who do men say that I am? Well, some think you're Jeremiah, Isaiah, just one of the prophets, or even John the Baptist, reincarnate. Who do you say I am? And the apostle Peter, impulsive as ever, you're the Christ. And he's like, you're right. God, the Father, revealed that to you. But within a few verses, when Jesus explains what it meant for him to be the Messiah, Peter rebuked him got it completely wrong. And Jesus, like, he didn't call him Satan. He was talking about the adversary that was behind Peter's adversary, being an adversary. Peter aligned himself with, he didn't call him Satan, but he says, get behind me, Satan. So even what they believed correct was really misinformed. But Jesus didn't be like, you're so disappointing to me. You guys, go, go away. I can't be with you anymore. You're not believing correctly about me. Nobody believed correctly. Even after the resurrection, it's clear. Some doubted. So belief wasn't that threshold to come into the invitation of Jesus. Now, let me qualify. Belief is important. We need to know the truth because the truth will make us free. 
And you need to, by believing, trusting, align your life to the truth. But that belief is not the entrance exam into belonging. Belief comes after belonging. And the same thing with behaviors. Your behaviors, you cannot change your behaviors without changing something on the inside that is your character. And that happens in relationship with Jesus. But relationship with Jesus is also something we are doing together. So to confess Jesus and commit to following Jesus is following him together and recognizing that we're all wrong at something and we all make really poor decisions and behave in all sorts of unseemly ways. And that means that to belong in the family, there's probably someone you don't like in the family. There's probably someone that at one point in time, you probably would have considered them your enemy. And now here you are, belonging to the same family. And what Christians tend to do is to make it easy on ourselves and not have to mature or grow. We just break off into little small groups of people just like us. And you got denominational split after split after split. And all of it is, almost all of it is around doctrine. Beliefs that came after belonging will break relationship because we can't see eye to eye. Every relationship you have, you don't see eye to eye. <laughs> I, I, eye to eye in the mirror, I can't see eye to eye. <laughs> like, why is that the reason to break fellowship? Or that you really can't get along with someone? Who do you get along with? Even people that are just like you eventually become annoying. I annoy myself. So when there's people like me, I'm like, you're cool for a while. Eventually you get annoying. But like, is that a reason to not? That, and, that, and see, But see, that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of, of the challenge of relationship. We're afraid of people, we're afraid of people seeing inside of you, past your facade, and rejecting you. And many of you have faced significant rejection, and you just don't want to do that again. And I get it. That's, that's why we want to be the kind of place where you can belong exactly where you're at, right where you're at. And no one is going to demand otherwise. But you will continue to hear the invitation of following Jesus, which is to come closer and closer and drawing closer and closer to Jesus. Eventually, you come closer and closer into relationship with one another. And it's okay. It's okay. It's, not, it's important that, that we not push you in a hurry. We're all at different stages and what we're ready for. But we want to be the kind of people where you can belong, which means, listen, in a, in a very messed up world, and this world is profoundly messed up. Just know messed up people will be a part of this church. People whom we would not accept their behaviors. And the beliefs are totally wrong. And the easy thing to do would say, you're not welcome. You're an outsider. 
but we would also be violating the leadership of our Lord. And creating a place for people to belong doesn't mean accepting all of the wrong behaviors. It means recognizing the person and that person, Jesus' blood was shed for them to bring them near to God. And you and I can be a part of bringing people near to God. Or, what the church is notorious for, we're a part of driving people away from God, not because of Jesus, but because of our self-righteousness. So yes, yes, we have, we have certain doctrinal tenets that we hold very close. There's some, some doctrinal tenets are non-negotiable. If you don't believe certain things, namely the Apostles' Creed, that's the short version, like you're just not a Christian anymore. Like you're not a believer anymore. If you just start rejecting certain things, yeah, okay, you're not a Christian anymore. But that's also not reason for rejection, I don't, I don't know how to keep explaining this because this might run counter to, to, to many of how, much of how you think. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying creating a family for people to belong to is going to be easy. If you have a family, you know what I'm talking about. Like, this is not easy. There, there, there does have to be, and this is what may be the stronger call that I would ask. There does have to be a significantly mature core group of people that does set the culture and creates the stronger culture that people who are struggling, people who are misbehaving, can still be welcomed into family in the process of transformation. Just think about the way families are developed. We bring a child into the world and the first and most important thing this child needs outside of food is to belong, to know they are cared for. The only things an, a newborn is looking for is am I safe to get my needs met? And that doesn't change. You get older, you're still looking, is there a safe place for me to have my needs met. And eventually, as you grow, you go from getting your needs met to then providing a space for others to get their needs met. But in raising my children, I cannot succumb to their immaturity in order to mature them. And let's face it, we, we, all, we all have our bad days. <laughs> like, we, we try to match... You know, cry for cry. Oh, you want to cry it out? Great. Let me just join in and see, show you how stupid this is. Yeah, we all have our bad days as parents, okay? I'm not making any claim to be dad of the year. <laughs> but to mature my children means I have to give them space as themselves with the maturity level that they are at to be safe in this relationship. I give my children the space to belong while they process and grow in how to behave and what they believe. If I rejected my children because of misbehaving, I would not have children. There is no child that doesn't misbehave. 
Do we not think that the children of God will go through the same maturation process? We all misbehave. And none of us are to be rejected because of the misbehavior. But a safe place where mature people can say, I love you, and that's not acceptable here. I will not reject you. I will be here with you, but that's not acceptable here. Here, we act like this. And as long as it takes for you to learn that, I will be with you. I will love you. You are safe. The way the Apostle Paul says it in Romans chapter 12. In the early part of the chapter, he says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We, have, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. You don't have to like it. But that's, what tr- that's what's true. And if you and I don't accept it, we're rejecting what is true. And there's no way around it for all of us that have committed our lives to Jesus. We belong to each other. You might be embarrassed by each other, but it doesn't mean <laughs> we don't belong. We belong to each other. But then if you jump down to verse 13... He says this, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Here's what we're after, is there there be enough mature people to practice hospitality. And what practicing hospitality is, if it's anything else, and it's probably a lot of things, if it's anything else, it's creating a safe place for others to belong. And that's what I'm asking of our church. That's 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 part of my growth and maturity in the Lord Jesus is that There is a space in my presence where you can belong. And that we together, you we create a space together for others to belong. I'm looking at you. You're going to go to another camera. I'm looking at you, Chandler, whichever camera. I'm looking at you, Chandler. There it is. What's critical for the sake of that city is that there is a core group of people who create a safe place for others to belong. That it's not just about you belonging to each other. It's about creating a safe place for outsiders to become insiders. Because we are not after just getting a bunch of Christian people happy. What we're after is our city being transformed, our region being transformed. And that means there has to be a transformed group of people who cultivate a culture where others who are immature they don't believe correctly. They certainly misbehave. Their lives are all a mess. Have a safe place to be accepted and loved and go in the process of transformation into Jesus' image together with other mature people who can carry them along in the process. And if you've been here longer than a year, I guess this is what I'm asking. If this is not your home church, you, you, are, you, can, you are welcomed as an insider, and I don't hold you responsible for anything. But those who call this their home church, we are responsible for a culture. We are responsible for a community, a body of believers that it has space for others to belong. You need to start treating an empty chair as a serious problem. Because there's someone in your life that needs relationship with Jesus and transformation.
So part of why we do groups, groups is not the only way to cultivate that. It is our primary way to create that space to go from observing and encountering God personally into developing relationship with Christ's body. And so I encourage you, take a step, start a group, attend a group. It's not too late. Uh, We want to help you take that process, help you take that step as much as possible. But it's risky, scary, it's probably going to be hard. None of those are reasons to not do it. This is worth it because this is a part of our transformation into Christ-likeness. Part of creating a kind of ecosystem where others can jump in, be a part of an environment where they can encounter God, they can grow and mature, and the way we would say it here is our small group environments are about developing and cultivating Christ-centered relationships. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Relationships in and of themselves don't transform you. Jesus transforms you. But being in relationship with others needs to have Jesus in the middle of it. And that will transform you. Amen? Amen. I'm going to release Chandler. Chandler, you're launching groups today. Pastor Steve, you take it as, as you see fit. I bless you guys. It's a family service, so I bless the children uh, in the auditorium today. And thank you for being a part and receiving the word of God today. Amen. Um, There's a pastor in Korea named Yongi Cho, Cho Yongi, and we knew him as Paul Cho, Dr. Paul Cho, and he grew a church to all, almost a million people, and uh, or maybe over a million, and he recognized along the way that a church so big that in order for it to really be the church functionally the, what it was supposed to be there had to be groups so we invented what they call back then cell groups we don't call it that anymore because the um, terrorists took over that name um, so we we call them life groups here um, spoiler alert Wonka the new Willie the Wonka Willie Willy Wonka, the Chocolate Factory, that one. Uh, The end of that movie, he opens up a chocolate bar that his mom has given him, and there's a golden ticket in there. Um, It's different from the golden ticket from the other movies that we knew about. But it says the secret on it. And he turns it over. And it says, it's not about the chocolate. Now, this is, this is after you've had a two-hour movie that's all about the chocolate. It says, it's not the chocolate. It's the people you share it with. And then he breaks the chocolate and starts to hand it out. That's what I, that's what I want to share with you this morning is that it's not just the doctrines and the teachings and the Bible stuff. There's some essential part. That's Jesus and him crucified. Paul talked about that. He said, I resolve to know, no, I don't know, want to know people that by being Jew or Greek, by being male or female. He says, that's not the point. He says, the point is that we recognize who Jesus is, and that's the beginning. And then everything else follows after that. The secret 
the point of it all is sharing it with others, which is all Jesus did in, in his whole ministry, sharing it with others, sharing it with others, sharing it with others. We think of that as being like a family, so, I, but we are family. Um, I got all my sisters with me, and um, I, I want you to think about that this morning, and think about if you're not in a group, where a small group, where you get to be intimate with others and, and share your hurts, share difficulties in life, um, share where you've come from, share what your dreams are and where you're going. That's the purpose of the groups. And Cho Young Yi uh, recognized that there's that's where the power was. And then since then, we've all we've all adopted that too, um, as as the church. That it's almost universal. But I want you to consider as we sing this last thought, song this morning to close out um, how you need to be involved in that. Some of you are involved in one or more groups, and but. Uh, and so if you're in one, maybe you need to be in another one too. Maybe you need something extra or you need to be able, you receive from one and you need to be able to give in another group. Um, one of my prayers has been for us to have a 12-step group here at our church that meets at, at just as another use for our building. But groups, family groups, because it's, it's not the chocolate that's important. It's who you share it with. Uh, this morning, we're going to be closing out service by singing a song that was introduced last week. And it's about, yeah, please stand up and join. Um, but it's about the, the reverence that we experience in, in the presence of the Lord. And about just surrendering to His holiness and His goodness. And last night I was, I was thinking about, this song's just been playing constantly, constantly, constantly in the best kind of way for me. And, um, and last night I was, I was thinking about Moses and how in the Old Testament, Moses was the only one allowed to be face to face with God. Moses had to go into a special tent of meeting. He had to go up to the very most point of Mount Sinai in order to meet with the Lord. And at one point, he asks God to show him his glory. And the thing about the glory of the Lord is that it is so powerful. The glory of the Lord is the manifestation of his holiness. And holy is a really, really big word for some people. And for others, like me, a few weeks ago, it was a word that had kind of just lost all of its meaning because I've grown up in church and I'm like, yes, the Lord is holy. Hooray, hallelujah. Like what, it had kind of lost its meaning for me. And then I realized the Holy Spirit just showed to me that the, the glory of the Lord is His holiness made manifest. And in that holiness, in, in how perfect the Lord is, in how righteous always the Lord is, 
there had to be separation back in back in the times for Israel. People could not be close to the Lord because he was too good. He was too, he's too good. And so at one point Moses asks asks the Lord to show him his glory and the Lord is like, "I love you so much, but you cannot see my face." I'll let you see my back, but you cannot see my face. It will destroy you. It will destroy your people. And Moses sees the back of the Lord and his face shines. His face shines with the glory of the Lord. So much to the point that he has to cover. He has to veil his own face because his own friends and family and companions are scared of him. They're scared of the very presence of the Lord that is still imprinted upon him. And years and years later, the Lord so greatly desired to be close to us that he sent Jesus to rip that veil in half so that we are now the temple of the Lord and we as image bearers of Christ are the very glory we are together as a family as a church if you look around each person in this room is the holiness of the Lord made manifest and that's how we have to walk our, through our lives is knowing that the person standing beside you your children as they make that decision to know Jesus they are now the very glory of the Lord they are now the holiness of the Lord and so while we sing this song we are saying we are surrounded by holy and we are surrounded by holy because we are in the presence of the Lord we are also surrounded by holy because we are in the presence of each other y'all sing this with me
center and you consume all I am. I lose myself in the one who's holy. As we come face to face, you take my breath away. All I can do is cry holy, holy. The more that I enter it, you consume all I am. I lose myself in the
Father, we, of course, recognize your holiness, that you are different, different from any other philosophy or, or idea or teaching. You're different. But Lord, I pray that today we would recognize the difference that we are as as Jesus was the first born, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that we, as those brothers and sisters, are different. I pray that we'd live in that difference, that we'd live it out every day and manifest it in a way that the world says, man, what is it about you? that we'd even create some discomfort in who we are because of our relationship with you. Just the same way Moses created discomfort among the people, but that we'd never hide it away behind a veil. Because the veil really was torn at the cross. And may we be a part of you ministering to the world today, face to face. So as we go from here, bless us with the realization of your presence such that we, that presence through us makes a difference everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all. Have an awesome week. If you need anything, Speak to us.